exercise and maybe be with the guys a bit. So I dusted off the old high tops and showed up for our first game. And in high school, I really enjoyed playing basketball. I, I just loved it. And I don't know if I was any good or not, but I went to a small enough high school that I was, you know, in a little pond. And so it made me feel like a bigger fish. And, and uh, in general, I could run as faster, faster than most. And I could shoot the ball a little bit uh, better than, than others in, in my school. And, and I really enjoyed the game and felt like, you know, this is something I, I'm pretty good at. But I noticed right away as we started playing in this league that things had changed since the 20 or so years since I had played in high school. School. Apparently, someone had decided to arbitrarily make the court longer because it seemed a whole lot harder to get up and down the court than I remembered it being in, in high school. And, and uh, so, you know, I'm running out there and I'm starting to get fatigued like after one time down the court. And, and then the next thing I noticed is somebody apparently made the rim smaller or higher or lower or something because I couldn't make a shot to save my life. Now, I'm content to shoot. No one has to tell me to shoot the basketball. I'll do that. But they weren't going in. And, and so I'm shooting and, and uh, uh, they're not going in and I'm not really pleased about that. And then the team we were playing, I think they were on some kind of a work release program from San Quentin. I'm not sure about that, but uh, they seemed to have their entire sense of self-worth tied to the outcome of this recreational basketball game. And they were going for it to a degree that you maybe wouldn't expect till the final minute or two of a game. I think most guys in a situation like that, what you want to do is just kind of play in such a way that you can wake up and go to work the next morning, right? And, and uh, this was like the last game of the NBA playoffs, and, and uh, they were going for it. And so as the game continued, the more and more I got tired, and the more and more I got frustrated, the more and more I was missing shots. And, and I remember at one point, I, uh, uh, I was brutally fouled, almost assaulted, I Probably could have pressed charges, but uh, in that moment, something happened. A little switch went off when I thought I was fouled and the foul was called against me. It was like all the frustration that had been building up kind of brought me to this point, and, and that is when it happened. And I would be embarrassed to tell you the rest of this story, but every one of you here today, if you were honest, could say, Pastor, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I've had a situation similar to that in my own life. I went from being mildly miffed to furious in a nanosecond. How many of you have made that journey in a nanosecond, huh? Good. And the rest of you, there's a word for you, liars. Okay, that's what you are. It was irrational, it was illogical, but I went from just kind of being irritated and frustrated to like in a split second, absolutely infuriated. I didn't know if I wanted to yell at somebody or if I wanted to punch somebody in the throat or if I wanted to punch somebody in the throat as I yelled at them. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but there was this immediate sense of absolute rage within me. Now, I'll tell you the rest of the story. You'll, you'll be wondering. I think I managed to make it off the court before I did any damage to my testimony. Thankfully, I, I didn't yell at anybody or punch anyone in the throat that I can recollect. At least that's the story I'm sticking to. But at any rate, uh, I, I got off the court and and uh, that was the end of that but you know as the game was done I was shocked at how I felt I, I remember thinking man that was an irrational amount of anger for something as insignificant as recreational basketball but in that moment, there was a lot of factors going on. Probably I'm feeling old and I'm getting crabby and I feel like this guy's elbowing me and nothing's going my way. And, and in that moment, it was just kind of like all these things piled up. And the result was I saw some ugliness on the inside of me that I hadn't seen in a while. And it shocked me. I couldn't believe how angry I was. 
Now, I want to draw a contrast and see today a profound juxtaposition in the life of Jesus Christ. You've all heard the saying that people are like tea bags in a sense. You don't know what's in them until you put them in some hot water. Well, when I was immersed in a little bit of hot water there, I didn't like what came out. But as we observe Jesus in the occasion of the crucifixion, what comes out of him? Really, it defies any logic it it was beautiful it wasn't ugly it was it was beautiful and we've taken some time really to just focus on the occasion surrounding the cross we've talked about this series of lead me to the cross and and the first element we had to consider in our study is why did jesus have to die on the cross and and as we studied that we learned the reason is because he loves us that's the very best answer there is but we learned from the apostle paul that the bible tells us that he is just he can't look away from sin but he's the justifier which means he paid for our sin and then paul concluded that statement by saying he did all that because he wants us to be justified so jesus did all of it so that we could know what it is to have the forgiveness of sins and the joy of a relationship with god Last week, we saw how Jesus, through the crucifixion, touched and changed and transformed lives. We considered the life of a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. The Bible called him a secret disciple because he was afraid. Yet when he saw what Jesus did for him, the response of Joseph was, that's it, my life will now be changed, I'll be living in a different way. And he went on to boldly live for God. But today we're going to observe Jesus as he's on the cross in the most intense crucible of pressure that anyone has ever faced. And in that crucible, as the press is coming down, it wasn't anger that came out of Jesus. It wasn't hatred that came out of Jesus. It was the most amazing and inexplicable love that came from him. Now, I want us to look at this passage together. And if you're able today, I'd ask you to join me in standing out of respect for the reading of God's word. Luke chapter 23 We're going to begin reading today in verse 32. The Bible says, and there were also two other malefactors. And malefactors means bad guys, evildoers. Two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and and offering him vinegar, saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. It's interesting, the call of the people to Jesus was save yourself. He was only interested in saving them. Verse 37, the Bible says, in saying, if thou be, or excuse me, verse 38, and a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. One of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, 
Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily or truly, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In that last word, verse, there's three words that, to me, give us a great look at the heart of Jesus Christ. The three words are these. Be with me. Be with me. A great statement. I want us to consider this together today. Our, our Father, we're so thankful that you indeed are a God of love. And Lord, I pray that through this time and study that we would really take a look at you and understand not only what you did, but in a greater degree who you are. And may that understanding lead us to, to live for you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. While suspended between heaven and earth on an old rugged cross, the Bible gives us seven different occasions when Jesus made a statement from the cross. Seven statements made by Jesus from the cross. Each of these statements carries weight, and each of the statements reveal his heart. In that moment, it was, it was an opportunity for us to gain some insight into, into his heart. And, and some were very tender moments. I think of the statement when, when Jesus there is giving instructions for his mother to be cared for. It was a very tender moment. And we see the compassion of Christ in, in that way. Some were very honest and, and frankly, very heartbreaking moments. For example, when, when Jesus cried out to God and he said, why do you forsake me? But the occasion in the text before us is particularly striking to me. The crucifixion, as we know, was followed by, uh, or preceded rather, by the betrayal of a friend. There was a trial that was illegal through and through. We see the acquiescence of the Roman leader, Pilate, to the people. It was amazing the lack of leadership that that man demonstrated. In John chapter 19, for example, in verse 6, the Bible says this, when the chief priest, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. Imagine the abdication of leadership that this man demonstrated. He said, Take him and crucify him, because I see no reason for him to be crucified. It makes no sense at all. But this man was a leader after the mold of the politicians of our time where it's all about appeasement, figure out what the people want, give them that, and it will be good for you. And he says, I see no reason why Jesus should be crucified, but if you want to crucify him, hey, take him and you may. Jesus was beaten, spat upon, mocked, whipped by the brutal Roman whip we call the cat of nine tails. The injustice of the moment would have been infuriating. But Jesus did not die in a rage. He died willingly. And I want us to never forget that he died willingly. Yes, from man's perspective, it was murder. From God's perspective, it's what he calls a gift. Jesus died willingly. He gave himself. I think of earlier in the Gospels, we read in John chapter 10, Jesus speaking, he said, no man take it, speaking of his life, no man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. In John chapter 19 and verse 30, the Bible says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, 
It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. It was given. It was not taken. Jesus gave himself as an offering. Perhaps nothing demonstrates that more than his encounter in this passage. Three men died that day. Three men side by side. Jesus in the middle, flanked on either side by criminals. We don't really know a lot about these criminals. I don't know their names. I don't really know their stories, what all they went through or endured in their lives. We don't really know the backstory and the crimes that led them to the place where they too were to be crucified. We do know that they were guilty. And I don't really have to base the, the validity of the verdict in their trial for that. They admitted as much. They admitted that they were guilty. So we know that they indeed were guilty of crimes, worthy of the death penalty. Here they are on either side of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we find that of these two men who were similar and that they both had committed crimes that in that day would have, have given them the death penalty, we see that one of the two was very different than the other in his treatment of Jesus. One of the two was as ugly to Jesus as the scene of uh, unfolding there was itself. The Bible tells us that one of the malefactors which, uh, which were hanged railed on Jesus. He railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. Now again, the word Christ there was a reference to the Old Testament promised one, the Messiah. And he said, If you really are the one promised of God the Father, if you indeed are God the Son, here's what it is I want you to do. Why don't you go ahead and, and save yourself and then save us? But the Bible tells us that he railed on Jesus. And as I looked that word up this week, I, I learned that that word is a word that means to be persistent in your attack. So this wasn't a one-time snide remark. This wasn't a passing statement. This was an ongoing process. This man was literally using the last moments of his life to rail against Jesus Christ. No remorse in his heart. No sorrow. No sense of shame. Just an opportunity to do his best to stick it to somebody else. He was persistent. Now the other criminal was quite different in his treatment of Jesus. He said this to the one who was doing the railing. He said, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, in other words, he said, it's just for us to be here. We're guilty. And indeed justly, he said, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, speaking of Jesus, this man hath done nothing amiss. He's essentially saying, how can you say these things? We're hanging on crosses. We're going to be dead. We're being put to death for crimes that we have done. But Jesus has done nothing wrong. And then in the greatest decision that man would ever make, he turns to Jesus in an act of humility and faith. He says to Jesus, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He tells Jesus, remember me. Remember me. The degree to which this man understood Jesus is really not entirely clear. We don't know all the um, insights that this man would have possessed, but he no doubt would have been exposed to the fact that Jesus had been accused by the Jews of blasphemy. He had claimed to be God the Son. That was true on the part of Jesus, but that was the charge against him as well. When Jesus was 
taken to the Romans, they changed the charge around to basically say it was treason against the Roman Empire, but the basic charge that brought Jesus to the cross was the fact that this man claims to be God the Son. And so he would have had that understanding of Jesus. So here's this man, he's hanging on a cross, his knowledge of Jesus would have, would have maybe been varied, but essentially he would have known this is a man that claims to be God. And all he really had to go on in this moment is the behavior of Jesus. In this unimaginably difficult moment, Jesus reveals something to him. He observed the Lord, and he concludes, you know, this man is who he said he is. And he turned to Jesus in faith. Now, we don't often think of this man, this malefactor, this evildoer, beside Christ on the cross. We don't often think of him as a giant of the faith. But really, when I observe his conversion against the backdrop of many others who came to know Christ in the course of the New Testament, this man really had a pretty amazing faith. Jesus didn't give him a sermon that he responded to. We don't find that Jesus preached and, and, and proved what it is he had to say from the scriptures of the Old Testament. He didn't have a come forward invitation for this man. There's no record of a sermon that Jesus preached to this man. There's no record of a miracle that Jesus performed for this man as a way of authenticating that he indeed is who he said he is. And, and, and yet we find that this man, just by observing Jesus in this moment of incredible pressure, by way of observation, he concluded this man is who he said he is and he trusted in Jesus and based on faith and faith alone that man had no ability to work he couldn't join a church he couldn't give an offering he couldn't even make his way to a baptistry this man could do nothing all he could do in that position was trust Jesus and in response to simple faith Jesus said today thou shalt be with me in paradise what an act of love what an act of love for Jesus to respond to this man and say, listen, I'll tell you what, in response to your faith, I want you to know that you have been spiritually saved, forgiven of your sins. You'll be with me. What I love about this exchange is the fact that it contains all the elements of true spiritual salvation. This man, while hanging on the cross, he did a couple things. First of all, he confessed his sin and then he confessed Christ. He confessed his sin and that he said, listen, I'm here justly. I've done wrong. I admit it. I'm imperfect. I, I, I can't say that I measure up to the standard of God. I have fallen short. I confess I'm guilty. I am a sinner. And then he confessed Jesus Christ. When he turned to Jesus, he was saying, in essence, I do believe that you indeed are God the Son, that you were born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. You're dying a death that you don't deserve, but you're in the place of another. He was, he was confessing, I believe, Jesus, that you are who the Old Testament told us you would be. John spoke of the need for confession in relationship to salvation. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we want to have a relationship with God, we've got to fess up. We've got to confess our sins, but we've got to confess Jesus Christ. I love how, how Paul put it in Romans 10. He said, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. A confession of sin and a confession of Jesus Christ. In this ugliest moment the world had ever known, the most beautiful thing happened. Jesus saved a man from sin and assured him of a home in heaven. 
when he died that day. It was a moment of a decision with eternal ramifications. How awesome is that? Here's a man that society had written off. Society had literally concluded earth would be a better place if you were no longer here. The best thing we can do for our community is to snuff out your life. You're worthless. You're of no value. You need to be gone. We're putting you to death. And Jesus looks at this man and he says, I love you and I forgive you. And you can be with me forever and ever for all of eternity. The love of God is absolutely amazing. And this whole encounter it really got me thinking. It led me to ask some questions of myself, and if you've heard me preach many times, I have a pretty predictable pattern. I, I have a familiar way for myself that I go through a passage and break it down, but really as I came to this point, I thought it's interesting to me that while Jesus is in the process of paying for sins, people are telling him, why don't you save yourself? And, and yet in the process of that all, one man learns that Jesus really does save. He learned it for himself, and I started just thinking questions to myself and i just want to pose a few questions to you today not the kind you answer out loud but the kind you think on if you have your notes nearby i want us to consider a few of these together this morning i want to ask you this question what comes out of you when you are pressed so we started today i shared with you that uh, i enjoy sports and i like to uh, follow sports and espn is it's almost a religious thing for me you know i've I find my way there just about every day to at least watch a little bit of Sports Center. And when this message really was on my heart and I was beginning to think about it, uh, I went home and, and uh, I was watching ESPN. And there's a coach for the Oklahoma City Thunder, an NBA basketball team, and, and his wife had died in a, in a car accident. And it was a tragic story, but they showed a clip of this man speaking at his, at his wife's memorial service. And they just showed a few moments, and honestly, it was so touching. Here I am watching sports, and I'm, I'm getting choked up watching this man uh, speaking at his wife's funeral service, five children, and uh, it, was, it was so inspiring to me. I literally found the entire message that this man gave and, and, and watched it, and, and I wish we had the time today for you to see all of it, but, but I wanted you just to take a moment and see just a few minutes of, of this service as this husband, this father is speaking at the, at the funeral of his wife. Let's watch this together. It will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. The Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you got to do is look around. Get outside of these walls and you know it's true. This will work serve the Lord if you don't 
I, I tried to give enough context in that that you could understand how devastated he had to be. Five crumb snatchers, as he said. The tragic loss of his wife. But I saw Jesus in him. I mean, I saw Jesus in him. It, it's illogical, but it's spiritual. Uh, he, he, he was able to say, you know something, there were two victims in that accident. Yes, my wife may not have been at fault. It may have been the fault of another but listen what they need is love and they need prayer and and they need forgiveness and it reminded me of Jesus because as he's on the cross we found in our text what did he say father forgive them forgive them for they know not what they do you know this Easter season is many things but it really is a season of forgiveness and we are never more like Jesus than when we forgive another person Far too often when we feel slighted or when injustice comes our way, we really just exude vitriol. It's easy for us to go to that ugly place I went to on the basketball court. And I'm not talking about being a doormat in the course of life. I am talking about responding as Jesus did. I think of the model prayer when Jesus taught us to pray. We call this the Lord's Prayer. It was not His prayer. It was a prayer He gave us as a model. All right. And, and in that prayer, as he was teaching us to pray, he said this, And forgive us our sin, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus said, listen, forgiveness has to be an integral part of, of our lives. When, when Peter asked Jesus, well, how many times do we have to forgive, Lord? In Matthew 18, uh, Jesus said, uh, until seven times. Jesus went on and said, no, until 70 times seven. And before you do the math to find out what 70 times seven is, that was Jesus' way of saying, there's no stopping point to this, Peter. We're to live lives of forgiveness. 
We're not to be doing the math, keeping score. We're to have hearts that are quick, that are eager to forgive. I wonder what comes out of you when you're pressed because the great beauty of Jesus is that in the moment of this pressure, his love is demonstrated by forgiveness that came from him. Here's another question I began to ask myself that I'll ask you today. Who have you disqualified? Who have you disqualified? If I were to ask for a raise of hands today, how many of you are arrogant, judgmental, condemning uh, people? You know, I, I don't know that any hands would readily go up. But the fact is, we all can be judgmental and condemning and condescending. and It's in us. It's just in us. And sometimes we can treat other people in a way where we think they're like of a lesser value. We, listen, some of you, you think you have the gift of, of, of judgment. You're really judgmental. You say, well, I'm a critic. No, you're critical. I wonder, who have you disqualified? Disqualified. One of the most compelling aspects of the love of Christ is the fact that it was extended to everybody. On the cross, he's extending love to a criminal I think in Romans 5 and verse 8 where Paul said, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And what I love about the construction of that expression, while we were yet sinners, literally it means while we were in the very act of sinning. It literally means while we were at our worst, God who lives outside of the realm of time could see us in our moment, in the very moment of the worst sin that we've ever committed. And in that moment, he says, I love you. I commend, I give my love to you. No one's disqualified from the love of God. Yet I found that we all have a tendency at times to alienate some. And I don't think we always do it intentionally. I think sometimes we think of people maybe that need the Lord, but we would say, you know, they're so committed to their sin and, and we think they probably would never accept Jesus. They would never accept the love of Christ because they're, they're pretty bad and you know, maybe in our heart, we're not trying to say they're disqualified, but we're just thinking, you know, that, that's a tough nut to crack right there. I just, I don't think they'd ever be open to an invitation to an Easter service or to sit down and talk about spiritual things. I, I don't think they'd ever receive it. And so what we do is we, we disqualify them. We say they're too bad, but you know, this works the other way. I think sometimes we see people that also need the Lord, and they've managed to put a pretty good life together, and maybe the things were a little bit different in their past, or they've just done really good. They, they've got a pretty well put together flesh, as it were, rather than spirit, and, and yet we'll look at some and say, you know, they've got a good income, they've got a nice home, they, they, they've got everything that you, you need to have. They probably wouldn't see their need from God, therefore I, I, I won't do what I could to help them come to know Jesus. And in so doing, what we've done is we've disqualified them. We disqualify some. We say, well, they're too bad. And others, we say, they've got it too good. And, and we tend to push people off on the extremes, alienating them. The thing about Jesus is that he made time for everybody. He talked to rich people. He talked to poor people. He talked to men. He talked to women. And nothing against ladies, but that was unusual in that time. That was peculiar. I mean, when the disciples saw Jesus talking to, to the woman at the well, they were, they were blown away to think that a big part of the followers of Jesus were women. That was highly unusual. It was a misogynistic day, and Jesus elevated the role of women greatly. And Jesus gave time not only to rich and poor and men and women, he gave time to law keepers and to rebels and 
even on one occasion, he got upset with the disciples for pushing children away. You remember that? He said, hey, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Years ago, I served on a church staff in Tennessee, and it was a pretty complex ministry. It was a very large church. They had a very large Christian school, and they had a Christian college, and and so once a year, we'd, we'd all get away and, and uh, kind of do deconflicting and calendar planning, and then someone would come in and do training uh, for the staff. And, and I, I remember when, when Lisa and I just got there, there was a, a staff event like this, and we went away to uh, Gatlinburg there in the mountains, and they rented like these uh, cottages, and, and we had sessions. And, and, and I remember um, after, after the evening session that, that we attended, we're new, uh, everybody went out that night to Pigeon Forge, and you know there's a lot of things to do there, miniature golf and all kinds of stuff like that, and, and uh, they all went out. And frankly, we all knew they were going out, but we didn't go out. And the next day, everyone was talking about how fun it was, how great it was, and, and one of the guys that I just started working with, I really didn't know anybody very well, uh, he said, why didn't you and Lisa come last night? I said, well, we didn't know we could. He said, yeah, no, it was for everybody. I said, well, nobody told me. I would have gone. I would have enjoyed that. I wanted to get to know some people. That, that sounded like fun to me. I just never got the memo that this is something that's open to everybody. There's nobody disqualified from this invitation. What a shame it would be for somebody within the realm of our influence to not know that they are included and have been invited by God to enjoy a relationship with Him that lasts forever my prayer honestly my prayer for north county as we make our way up to resurrection weekend is that god would yes do a great work in any gospel preaching church but i'm only leading this one that god would do a great work through this church so that nobody in our area could honestly say boy i never knew god loved me like that how tragic it would be for somebody to miss out on on something as wonderful as an eternal relationship with god because we we didn't speak up we didn't share think of that let me ask you this question how far are you willing to go for jesus how far are you willing to go now i know the games we play most of the time we negotiate and we kind of settle here's here's where i'll go with the lord we negotiate with ourselves um, and the reality is we need to follow the leading of God. So I, I don't want to stand up here today and say, here's the boxes that you've got to check so that I'm real happy because frankly, my happiness is nowhere near as important as pleasing God and doing what's profitable for you. But I want to ask you, how far are you willing to go for Jesus Christ and I ask that because as Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's forgiving and saving I, I couldn't help but think of how far he came this is God he came from heaven the Bible in Luke 19 and verse 10 tells us that the son of man that's a, an expression to speak of Jesus the son of man is come and he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's come. He came from heaven. He came all the way through a perfect life. He came all the way through the experience of the cross. He Thankfully, next Sunday, we'll celebrate that he came out of a tomb that he only borrowed for a few days. And, and yet Jesus, he came so far. 
In Galatians 1 and verse 4, the Bible says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus gave his life for us, and there's a word the Bible uses for our response as we serve him. The Bible says it's reasonable. When we really understand the lengths to which Jesus Christ, God the Son, went to save us, the Bible says, let me tell you what's reasonable to respond by living a life of worship, a life that follows God. Over the years, I've had so many people who've touched my life and changed my life. I speak of them often. I think of Mrs. Galleon, my third grade Sunday school teacher. I think of Nathan Hall, my fifth grade teacher. He was the first person that ever made a visit to me on behalf of the church. Um, I remember Mech Langston. He was a Korean War veteran, my sixth grade Sunday school teacher. Man, we gave that guy a hard time, and he loved us anyways. I think of Doug McBain's, my junior high youth director, and I think of Coach Ray Clifton. I had two Coach Cliftons growing up, Ray and Dave, but Ray Clifton, he, he was such a help to me. He helped me understand really what leadership was all about, and he's the first guy I can ever remember pulling me aside and saying, Steve, you can be a leader, and, and I didn't really even know what that meant, but I just thought, wow, if this guy thinks that I can do something like that, that, that would be wonderful. He, he changed my life in a great way just on the side of a basketball court, talking to me and believing in me and inspiring me. I think of Mrs. Dalton, my writing teacher in college, who said, Steve, you, you really, you, you've done great work here. I remember finishing my report, my last report in that class, and she said, Steve, I want you to know I've taught college writing for many years. This is the highest grade I've ever given anyone. You've got a way with words. Don't stop writing when you're done with this class. Changed my life. In recent days, I can think of people like Kelly Dean who taught me some things I needed to know about health and in life. And I can even think of someone like Dave Ramsey who taught me about personal finances. I've never even met Dave Ramsey, but I watched him on a video and I received his instruction and he changed my life. I want you to know today, all I am is the mosaic of the people that have had an influence on me. All I am is the recipient of those who've taken a moment to just invest in my life and care for me and teach me and instruct me. But nobody's done for me what Jesus has done for me God forbid that I'd live my whole life and take time to remember people along the way without ever lifting up the person and work of Jesus Christ as I see Jesus on the cross I'm reminded of our need to make sure that every waking moment of our life is lived to the glory of God and as I observe Jesus it makes me want to learn to forgive He's being crucified and he's praying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. I want to learn to forgive. As I observe Jesus, it makes me want to do better at sharing the gospel. I don't want to disqualify anybody. I don't want to think of the people that are flanking me and say, well, they're, they're too bad or they're too good or, or whatever the case may be. I want, I want to be reminded Jesus loves everybody, even somebody like me and you. I want to reach out to those around me. I want to be willing to go far enough to reach out to those around me. Would y'all be so kind as to join me in standing this morning? I'm going to ask some more questions and don't answer them. 
And I want you to think of this. Is Jesus Christ God the Son? Did He leave heaven and come to earth? Was He born of a virgin? Did He live a sinless life? Did He die on an old rugged cross in your place? Could He at any time have called 10,000 angels to pull Him down, but He refused to do so? Was He laid in a borrowed tomb, and a few days later, did He rise again from the dead, victoriously, literally, bodily from the dead? What then should that reality call us to? What a great season we have to live for God in this Easter season. Let's bow our heads in the spirit of prayer. I wonder, are there, are there those here today who say, you know, Pastor, uh, really as you just took some time to observe a passage and ask some introspective questions, maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, there was something for me in that study today. There was something that really I, I could have benefited from. A verse you read, a, a statement that was made, but there was something for me in this Bible study today. Are there those by just the testimony, just a quickly raised hand, Pastor, there was something for me in the Bible today. Thank you so much. That's wonderful. You can put your hands down. I don't know what it is that would have prompted you to raise your hand. I just want to encourage you to live it. Talk to God about it. Be willing to go out of your way to love and forgive, to invest in the lives of others. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, you, you talked about knowing what it is to, to be s- saved spiritually. We observed this man hanging on the cross and he confessed his sins and he confessed Jesus. He said, I believe in you, Jesus. And, and for that reason, although he knew that he was going to die that day, he also knew that to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I were to die today, I'd spend eternity in heaven. I don't know that for a certainty, but if anybody could know it, I'd want to know it. I'd like to know that. I wonder, are there those this morning who say, Pastor, I'm just not sure if I were to die today that I'd spend forever in heaven with God, but, but I don't mind you thinking of me in prayer. There are those like that this morning, just by a quickly raised hand. Pastor, you can pray for me. I'm not sure that I have that kind of relationship with God, but you can pray for me. Maybe there are other spiritual needs in your heart and life. If you'd like someone to pray with you in a moment, we'll have a time of prayer and I'll be in the front. You can, of course, use your seat as a place of prayer. In a moment, the singing's going to begin, and as Ryan sings, let, let's let this truly be a time of, of reflection and, and a time where we talk to the Lord, where we take these questions we've considered and, and we mull them over in the presence of God. As the singing begins, let's pray.
y'all look this way? Lisa and I had the opportunity to follow up on a family to visit our church recently this week. Neither one of them knew if they were to die today, they'd spend forever in heaven with God. Neither one of them knew their sins were forgiven and so forth. They both did as we left. I want you to know what made the difference. One of you invited them. They came a few times to try and get the sense, really, what is it that's being taught and said. People were kind to them. They mentioned a VIP tent out front and the kindness there. People in the parking lot. The friendliness of people in the seats. I hope you'll pray for me every day this week that as I stand to preach next Sunday that it will not be in the power of my flesh but by way of the power of the Spirit of God. But I want you to realize all of you will preach a sermon next Sunday or Saturday. Every one of us. And uh, don't ever underestimate the ability God's put in your life to be an influencer for Him. And uh, Matt's going to close our service and remind us of some ways that we can get the word out this week. But I hope that all of you will take some time to invite somebody to come and uh, to be a part of our Easter weekend services here. I love you guys. As I said earlier, if you can make it tonight, uh, I think the message would be an encouragement to you. Matt.